Gunnestee, how are ye? Welcome to the Candlelit Tales podcast. My name is Aaron and today we're listening to part two of The Thorn, told by Surika with Rory O'Shea playing music. Now, we wouldn't be able to do these podcasts without the little help we get from Patreon. So, go over to patreon.com forward slash Candlelit Tales if you can help. But also, liking, subscribing or sharing these stories really helps us along. Now, without further ado, Take it away, Soraka and Rue. Maeve turned around to Fergus and said, Who is this hound that everybody keeps talking about? Fergus said, Eh, yeah. I forgot to mention him. Sorry about that. So, remember when I said everybody would be struck down by the curse of Maka as soon as they were old enough to grow hair on their chin? Well, there's one lad who isn't old enough yet to grow a beard, but he's still pretty terrifying. So, uh, well, in short, his mother, Dectora, sister of the king, she spent a year and a day in the other world, and when she came back with a boy bundled in cloth, it was rumoured that his father was possibly the sun god Lu Love Father. He was named Satanta, and he was a child prodigy. He grew up clever and keen and took to every challenge with ease. I fostered and taught him. He came to Awanmaka and joined the boys' troop at an incredibly young age. Satanta took on this great troop of boys and beat them at hurling single-handed. He transferred his skill onto sword and spear. So devastating he was, he killed Cullen's great hound that nine men had to hold back and swore to take its place defending Cullen's lands against raiders and thieves. And so he took on the name Ku Cullen, the Hound of Cullen. This name was prophesied to remain in the mouths of storytellers from that day until the end of time for the great and many deeds he would do. And the last time Marcus curse struck down the men of Ulster with the pains of childbirth, which is very bad, I'll admit. Cucullin stood against a thousand ships from Lachlan. He battled single-handedly till his horrifying warp spasm and battle rage came on him. He drove back the entire army, dashing ships against rocks and drowning men in the fierce sea. And Maeve said, Okay, thanks, Fergus. That's very well timed, terrifying my army. Well, I just thought you should know. Could have mentioned it sooner, is all. I slipped my mind. He was away over there in Skoks Island. Greatest training in the world, you know. Very intense and difficult to get into. Okay... We'll talk about it later. Now with that, Maeve sent her army onwards. One boy can't stand against an entire army. I don't care how good he is. And so on they marched through Ulster. And they spread all across Ulster like locusts. And true enough, there were no warriors to oppose them. Every household they came to was undefended. The people ran and hid from them. The few who tried to defend were trying to do so with pitchforks and scythes, no weapons and no training whatsoever. And so they fell easily before the blades of the men of Ireland. They were able to drive off any cattle they wanted. They were able to kidnap any people they wanted. 
They were able to steal what they wanted and nothing to oppose them. And as the day went on and they began to enjoy this bloodlust and this plunder, they forgot all about the warning of Fergus McRoy. And then the sun dipped low and the shadows of the trees started to creep across men's faces as darkness started to gather. And the men who had started to steal and take what they wanted heard a shriek from one side and a call from another as men began to fall all around stones whizzing through the air, knocking men down. Death meeting them there and then. As they took up their arms in search of this enemy, they gathered together and ran to meet this unseen foe, and those bands did not come back. And still they went out searching for this nemesis, this hound, but all they heard were howls and cries of death from all around the surrounding fields. They started to gather together then, that second day spent going out in larger and larger groups, determined to outnumber this one single warrior. But none of these groups came back. The Galena, the famous fighting faction of Leinster, so bright and bronzed, set out to hunt down the hound, and as they turned a corner they saw dismembered bodies scattered in their way. But this did not slow them down. And the men that went out after them saw an oak tree dug up and driven into the ground with its roots in the air and the heads of their comrades stuck high, dripping blood down the sides of the tree. They were fearful then and every one of them terrified. The army bunched closer and closer together. No man slept that night in fear of this hound that flickered past them as they heard the sound of his running feet going past, herding them in. They began to imagine this creature that harried them, this monster in the darkness, this hound howling in the night. That third day they were huddled so close together they forgot all about raiding and stealing what they wanted. Survival now was all that was on their mind. After these three days, and three nights, tensions began to rise. Men crowded so close together they were standing on each other's toes. Tensions mounted. Now Maeve was able to keep a lid on things. She was able to keep this army from erupting and attacking each other over the ancient tribal feuds that were between them but it was starting to be very hard work. And that day, one of the charioteers went out cutting branches to repair chariots that had been broken on the road, and he was keeping a fearful eye out for this hound of Ulster. And there in the forest while he was cutting down wood, he saw a beautiful slender young man with three colours in his hair and seven lights in his eyes, and he called him over and said, Come here to me, young fella. You need to be careful of yourself. Cucullin is around here somewhere, and I tell you, he's eight foot tall if he's one foot. He's half hound. He has fangs instead of teeth and blazing red eyes and claws instead of fingers. 
and in a battle a rage comes upon him so that he doesn't know friend from foe and his knees turn backwards. His right eye bulges out of his head and his left eye shrinks back in his skull so a bird couldn't peck at it. He'd eat the likes of you in one bite. And the youth smiled at him. And the charioteer said, Come here and give me a hand with these sticks. Do you want to cut the sticks or do you want to trim them? And the youth offered to trim them. So the charioteer handed him the sticks. And in a twinkling, in the blink of an eye, the young man took out a sword and he planed them so smooth that when a fly tried to land on one, he slipped right off. And then the charioteer saw it wasn't mud but blood staining the boy's tunic and boots and he realised who he was talking to and something warm went trickling down his leg. But Cucullin told him not to worry, that he did not kill unarmed men. But still the charioteer ran back to Maeve's army with the first description of Cucullin that anybody save the exiles of Ulster had ever heard. Maeve used to go into battle in her chariot, with her red hair streaming behind her, and with a chariot on either side of her, and another in front, so that the dust and mud of battle would not spatter against her dress. And on her shoulder would be her beautiful songbird to pour sweet music into her ear, and at her feet would be a little hound called Bashkna. And on that day she was riding through Ulster, feeling her look, a magnificent sight, when a stone came whizzing out and knocked the songbird off her shoulder. A little burst of feathers was all that was left. And then as she went forward, another stone came flying out. And there, at her feet, her darling little hound Bashkna was killed by Cucullin. Now when this happened, Maeve said, Right, that's enough. I know he's killed a lot of men, but that was my dog. And so she went to Fergus McRoy and said, We need to figure something out. Can this man, this pup of Ulster, be bought? Oh, if you want to try and bribe Cucullin, you're going to insult him. And if you insult him, you'll make him angry. And you wouldn't like him when he's angry. He's bad enough as it is. There is one thing he might accept. So Fergus went to where he knew Cucullin would be keeping himself awake, to the seaside near O'Conn where Cúchulainn was letting the sea breeze and the salt air blow his weariness away after three days and three nights of devastating the army of Queen Maeve all alone. Fergus went up to him. Cúchulainn turned around and saw his foster father walking towards him, and he said, Ah, Fergus, it's great to see you. I didn't know you were coming. But if you wait a minute, I'll get a fire going, and if you wait till the geese fly overhead, I'll knock a few down for supper. And Fergus said, Ah, will you stop? I've already eaten, it's fine. Ah, you'll have a sup. Go on. So they sat down, and they had a sup. And Fergus said, Look, Maeve wants to make an agreement, and I think maybe you'll agree to this, to the right of single combat. Instead of you taking on a whole army, and all of them against you, one champion against one champion, one day, and we stop, until the next day. And Cucullin said, that's interesting one, all right. 
I know Maeve's army is huge and will plunder Ulster, so I'll tell you what. I'll agree to your terms, Fergus. I will face a champion at the ford every day. Send one champion and I'll meet them there. And while the fighting lasts, that army can march. But when the fighting is over, that army must stop and make camp. And Fergus came back to Maeve with the message and she went looking for the first champion to face Cúchulain. Maeve managed to get men to challenge Cúchulain by promising the hand of her daughter, Finever of the Fair Eyebrows, if they should beat him. And this was quite a nice prize for the men of Ireland. Not all these men were young and good-looking. So many of them decided that they would chance their arm and try to defeat this young hound. The brash Ettercomel, the man of the forest not cran tail, the valiant Fieca, all faced him and all died. Kerr would not fight him because he didn't have a beard and he wouldn't fight a child until Cúchulain smeared his chin with blackberry juice and shortly thereafter Kerr's hairy head splashed into the waters. So things were not going exactly as Maeve would have liked. She was allowed to move her army only while the fighting was underway, and some days that was mere moments. The men had only gotten dressed by the time they saw another body floating down the river. And if Cúchulain ever faltered, if any of them were ever almost good enough for him, he had a secret weapon that made him undefeatable. He would unleash the gay bulga. The gay bulga was a fearsome weapon. Rumours about the deadly spear spread through the camp. No other man could control it but Cúchulain. It was given to him by his trainer, Skahok, the shadowy one, while he was training with her on her island. It was made from the bones of a great sea monster that Skahok had found washed on the shore. She had twisted the bones with skill and enchantment to make this weapon. It had to be thrown from under the water. This spear never missed its target. It flew through the air with a noise like a swarm of angry bees. It would find the most vulnerable point on the body and enter there. And once it pierced the skin, the head would splinter into a thousand barbs that pierced and penetrated every organ so that it could not be pulled out the same way it went in. It had to be pushed all the way through. So even if a warrior could match Cúchulain's skill, there was no standing against the gay bulga. Now this began to present a problem for Maeve, because she was sending warriors, but she was finding it harder and harder to find volunteers. And Finever, it turned out, was not really that happy about being dangled like a prize in front of an army of men, So Maeve decided she needed to change tack. So she did two things. First, she broke the terms of their agreement and she started sending men one after another on the same day instead of one per day. They still died, but the constant fighting kept Cúchulain distracted enough that she was able to get a small band of raiders and send them to Cúlee to drive away the brown bull and bring it back to Crocon Eye before her. 
Now she was still finding it hard to get challengers to face Cucullin. So that night, when she was talking to Fergus, she looked at him, kind of through her eyelashes, and she said, Fergus, I have a bit of a doubt on me. Are you loyal to your own province, or are you loyal to me? And Fergus, who, despite being around the cunning Crahor for years, had never learned to spot subtlety, replied, Of course, my queen, I am loyal to you completely. I have no loyalty left for Ulster. All I want to do is get close enough to King Crahor Magnesa to kill him. And Maeve said, That's excellent news, so that means you won't mind killing Cucullin for me, will you, dear? And Fergus realised there was no getting out of this. And so the next morning, with a heavy heart, he walked towards the ford with his wooden sword at his side. Laig started to describe the man coming up the hill. Great, broad shoulders, curly hair on his head and a great bushy beard with an emerald green cloak around his shoulders clasped with a gold brooch. He looked like a great tall tree in the middle of a field and at his hip was the scabbard for a sword as big as the oar of a boat. And Cucullin said, That cannot be. That is the description of my foster father. And he turned around and he said, Ah, Fergus, don't take another step. I don't want to have to fight you of all people. And he looked a little harder then. And he said, Besides, you haven't got your sword. How are you going to fight me with a piece of wood? Cucullin, I'll not fight you today. You'll run away from me. There's no way I'll run, Fergus. You yourself taught me never to back down from a fight. If you come any closer, I'll have to mow you down. Don't test me. You'll run away, because you know I'll repay the favour to you. I'll not run away, Fergus. Don't make me angry. I know you won't kill me, Cucullin, because if you run away from me today, I give you my word that I will run away from you in the battle to come. Cucullin's hand was on his sword hilt. The hound in him was howling for the blood of this challenger that would not back down before him. The boy in him saw the man who had held him on his knee his own foster father, his first teacher, and leashed the hound. And so he turned, and he ran. Maeve saw Cucullin had run from Fergus, and she said, Quick, get after him, he's getting away. But Fergus said, No, I've faced him, I've done what you asked, and I will face him again only after every single man in this army has faced him first. Now she knew there was one man in her entire army that really did have a chance of defeating Cucullin. But this man had been making himself very, very scarce. His name was Ferdia Macdamon. And though he was a man of Connacht, his mother was a woman of Ulster, and she and Cucullin's mother had been great friends. In fact, the two of them had spent a lot of time together as children. And when Cucullin went to train with the warrior woman Scahuk on her island, Ferdia was there already, and he was her star pupil. 
and it was the two Irishmen who became her greatest students. They were both so skilled in battle that neither of them had ever met somebody who was their equal before. But for the first time, they found in one another an equal, and they forged a friendship through their training that was closer than brotherhood. And so ever since they had arrived in Ulster, Ferdia had been keeping to his tent and keeping to himself. But Maeve called on her daughter, Finnever of the Fair Eyebrows, because she knew that Finnever and Ferdia were in fact in love, and she told her daughter if she persuaded Ferdia to come to a feast in her tent that night, she would allow her to marry him. So Finnever invited Ferdia, and when he came to her tent, Maeve sat him down with Finnever on one side of him and herself on the other side. And all through the feast, Finnever whispered sweet things in his ear. And Maeve fed him choice meats and strong drink until Ferdia was feeling really good about himself. And then Maeve leaned into him and she said, Ferdia, you want to marry my daughter, don't you? And he said, Yes, actually, I, I do, yeah, that, that'd be great. And he tried to straighten up a bit and make a good impression. But Maeve said, I know you do, and you know what you have to do to win my daughter, don't you? And Ferdia said, No, I, I can't. I, I know what you're going to say, and I, I can't fight Cucullin. We train together, sure. I, I love him like a brother. I, I can't do it. And Maeve said, Oh, so it's true, what he said about you. And Ferdia said, what did he say? He didn't say anything. What, what, what did he say about me? And Maeve said, Oh, he said you were afraid. That you were afraid to fight him. Then Ferdia leapt up to his feet and cried out, I'll show him so I will. The brazen pupsher, I'm not afraid of him. I'll fight him tomorrow. And Maeve said, Fantastic, off to bed. Thanks as ever for listening. This story was created by myself and my sister, Sorica Hegarty. The music and soundscape was by Rory O'Shea, produced and edited by Rory O'Shea with help from Oisín Ryan as well. Stay tuned for Unthorn Part 3 coming very soon. If you'd like to help us out, well, you probably know what to do. Patreon.com forward slash Candlelit Tales. But more on that next week.